Welcome to the 168th podcast, and the 138th is a city on a hill church. Patience is one of the fruits of the Spirit, and as such, it's definitely one of God's divine attributes. But unlike God's love, God's patience has an end. And when it does end, God's retribution, his vengeance, his wrath begins. In Isaiah 3, verses 1 through 15, God tells Israel that his patience is at an end. It's time for the Lord to enter into judgment. As we look around the United States today, we see cities burning, law and order being trampled underfoot. Has God's patience with us run out? Here to explore all of this is Pastor Michael Clark with his message, The Patience of Our God. Isaiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. And I've entitled the message, The Patience of Our God. The Patience of Our God. Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 1 says this, For behold, the Lord, the Lord of hosts, takes away from Jerusalem and from Judah the stock and the store, the whole supply of bread and the whole supply of water. The prophet Isaiah here is continuing his proclamation of God's judgment against his people Judah as a result of Judah's forsaking him and going after the gods, the false gods of the nations of the land. Uh, this is the time when Isaiah is prophesying that Judah is really prospering. So these are, these are uh, actually more uh, future prophecies rather than at the time uh, that Isaiah was prophesying. They would come true. Some people would uh, remember these prophecies. They'd certainly go back to them because it was really after Isaiah was off the scene and when Jeremiah came on the scene that the, these judgments really began to uh, come to fruition and these prophecies were fulfilled uh, against Judah. But Judah was prospering. They were doing well under uh, most of the kings that ruled over Judah when Isaiah was was prophesying. Certainly, uh, Judah was was prospering under Uzziah. Uh, Judah was was prospering under Hezekiah, uh, and there was Jotham and Ahaz. Uh, not not so much with Ahaz, but still, uh, as Isaiah was prophesying, the, the people were probably thinking, "Well, you know, we don't see this, these judgments coming to pass in our lifetime. God must be okay with with what we're doing and how we're living, because they didn't actually happen right after He wrote these things or He spoke these things. But they did come to pass. The judgments did come." Uh, because uh, God always tells the truth. When he tells the future, uh, he knows the future. He's outside of space and time. And so when he makes predictions of the future, God knows what's going to happen. He's not making it all happen. He knows the future. He's outside of the timeline. So when he, when he shows someone the future, like John uh, the Apostle, the book of Revelation, he was showing him visions of the future that were coming. Uh, and so it's, it's not a question of if it's going to happen. It's just a question of when it's going to happen, uh, because God knows what is coming. And he's telling them here that, uh, uh, that they're, they're going to experience tremendous famine and, and suffering, even in the base, uh, foods or the basic foods 
of bread, the staple food of bread, and just basic water. So not oil and wine or anything fancy, uh, not the, not the, the high-end goods and services uh, that they were probably enjoying right now at this time that he was writing this under Hezekiah. Uh, but they're, they're going to have a, a just a, a removal of, of the basic uh, provisions of bread and water in their land. Uh, because they went after other gods. They followed after uh, the gods of the nations instead of following after the true and living God. So God is going to take away their basic necessities. And he had warned them of this actually a couple of times in the law of Moses. But the, really, if you go back to Leviticus chapter 26, you see hundreds of years earlier, uh, as God was speaking through Moses, the man of God, uh, before the children of Israel even crossed the Jordan River to come into the promised land, to take possession of the promised land. So this is hundreds and hundreds of years earlier that these prophecies were made by Moses. It's also in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 28, but we're not going to uh, go to Deuteronomy. But Leviticus chapter 26, I'll just read a few uh, uh, passages here, starting in verse 13, about what was going to happen to the people of Israel if they forsook the Lord and went after the other gods of the lands. He says this in, in Leviticus 26.13. Moses says this, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. But if you do not obey me, so there's the if, which is a conditional word. So this is conditional. If you do not obey me, and if you do not observe all of these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all of my commandments, but break my covenant, I also will do this to you. There's going to be a consequence, in other words. If you do this, then this is going to happen. I will also do this to you, verse 16. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of the heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. Those who hate you shall reign over you. And you shall flee when no one pursues you. And after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. Then, if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you, and I will punish you yet seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. 
Verse 26, when I have cut off from you supply of bread, when I, when I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven, and they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall not, you shall eat and not be satisfied. There's just not enough there to go around. And after all this, verse 27, if you don't obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. And so exactly as God predicted hundreds and hundreds of years earlier, that's exactly what ended up happening with first the 10 tribes of the nation of Israel. They fell first and then later, finally, the last two tribes, the southern tribes, Benjamin and Judah also uh, collapsed and were carried away. Uh, uh, into captivity in Babylon. It's interesting that in, in verse 26, God says, when I have cut off your supply of bread. And that's exactly what Isaiah is then predicting in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1. Uh, and this is indeed what happened to them after Isaiah made these predictions. First, Moses made these predictions. Hundreds and hundreds of years later, Isaiah made these predictions again. Uh, and then it happened at the siege of the Babylonians when Nebuchadnezzar came down and besieged the city of Jerusalem. Uh, not only did they not have any bread and not have any water, they were literally starving to death. Uh, Josephus tells us that they were actually eating their children. They were, they were starving to death. And, uh, you know, the Donner Party and we, we hear the, and the, the Arctic expedition in the 1800s. And, you know, we're just appalled that these people would uh, be cannibalizing their family members, their friends. But, you know, if you're dying and, and everyone is dying around you and there's nothing to eat, uh, obviously people aren't in their right minds and, uh, and they're starving to death. And so this is what happened. Actually, this happened to the nation of Israel too. It didn't just happen, uh, to Judah in Jerusalem in 586 BC when they were besieged by the Babylonians. It happened hundreds of years earlier in, uh, second Kings. We read about it, uh, where, uh, second Kings, uh, chapter six in Samaria, which would have been the northern tribes, the 10 northern tribes, uh, we read that they, uh, second, let me look this up real quick. Second Kings chapter six and verse six. There's, there's a, an example of this happening. Actually, it's, it's verse, uh, it's verse 25. Second Kings chapter six, verse 25. Let me read this real quick to you and see exactly how God had predicted this is what happened to them. There was a great famine in Samaria. So this would have been, Samaria was the capital of the northern tribe or the northern kingdom of Israel. 
And this would have been probably 850 BC, maybe 900 BC at this time. 2 Kings 6.25, there was a great famine in Samaria, and indeed they besieged it, their enemies, the Syrians at this time, until a donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver, a donkey's head, and one-fourth of a cab of dove droppings for five shekels of silver. So they were, they were spending money for donkey's heads to boil whatever they could off of a donkey's head, uh, 80 shekels of silver, a lot of money, and then dove droppings for five shekels of silver just for the droppings of doves so they'd have some fire to boil, to have fuel for the fire to boil the donkey's head. That's how bad things were uh, in the uh, siege of Samaria. Then, as the king of Israel was passing by on the wall, a woman cried out to him, saying, Help my lord, O king. And he said, If the lord doesn't help you, where can I help you? Or where can I find help for you? From the threshing floor or from the wine press? Then the king said to her, What's troubling you? And she answered, This woman said to me, Give your son that we may eat him today, and we will eat my son tomorrow. So we boiled my son and ate him. And I said to her on the next day, Give your son that we may eat him. But she has hidden her son. Now it happened when the king heard the words of the woman, he tore his clothes. And as he passed by on the wall, the people looked. And there underneath he had sackcloth on his body. And so exactly as God predicted would happen, they actually began to cannibalize their own children because they were starving to death. And uh, it is it is such a, a horrible thing to imagine that, that they, rather than turning to God, rather than humbling themselves before God and seeking the Lord and repenting of their sins, uh, they 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 just hardened their hearts and uh, and the people suffered terribly as a result of the consequences of their forsaking the Lord. Interestingly, uh, this is actually going to happen again where during the tribulation period, one of the things that's going to happen during the tribulation period is that the people are going to be paying an enormous sum of money for very, very, very little basic food uh, staples and supplies. If you look in Revelation chapter 6, I'll read this to you, with the four horsemen of the apocalypse... We read this, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 3. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. And when he opened the third seal... I heard the third living creature saying, come and see. So I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not harm the oil and the wine. Verse 7, when he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. So I looked and behold a pale horse, and the name of him who sat on it was Death. And Hades, or hell, followed with him. 
And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. And so there is a time coming in the future where people are going to be starving to death. Huge, massive numbers of people are going to be starving to death around the world because of famine, because of famine. And, uh, you know, we, we, we take for granted that we are going to always have food available to us. We just take it for granted. There's always going to be food. There's always going to be stores. There's always going to be food on the shelves of the stores and so forth. Um, but not so, not so in history and certainly not so, so in the future. There is going to be a quart of wheat, uh, for a denarius. The denarius was a day's wage of a Roman soldier. Roman soldiers were, were well paid by the Roman Empire. And so a denarius became kind of like a staple amount of money to know what a day's wage was for, uh, for a Roman soldier. It, it could be maybe comparable today to $150 a day or $200 a day, 50, 60, 70,000 a year, uh, might be an average uh, wage uh, for a Roman soldier in today's economy. If you look at the uh, economy back at the, the, the time of Rome, at the time of Christ. And so imagine paying 150 or $200 for enough wheat for one person to eat a quart. It's not a lot of wheat. Maybe a small family could barely subsist and survive. And it's going to cost you $200, not you, but them at this time. I don't believe we're going to be here. $200, $150 just to get enough uh, uh, wheat to feed your family. Imagine a, a thing of cream of wheat or some cereal. A box of cereal for $200 just to survive for one day. How long can you, how long could you pay $200 a day for food? Not very long. Not many people could survive very long on that. Uh, and then you could get, you could eat horse food if you want. Three quarts of barley for a denarius. So that's like alfalfa. Uh, you know, so again, $200, $150, $200 at this time. This is going to happen. People are going to be paying this much money for horse food, for the food they feed to cattle. Uh, which doesn't have much nutrition, apparently, for humans. And so uh, this is coming. It says that he's going to kill one-fourth of the earth's population with sword, with hunger, with death, and with wild animals. And so the, the hunger is going to be killing people. One-fourth of the, of the earth's population today would be almost two billion people. The population of the earth is well over seven billion around the planet, probably close to seven and a half billion people right now on planet earth. So we're talking... 2 billion people, roughly, 175 uh, million people, 200, uh, 2 billion uh, people, one-fourth of the Earth's population is going to die in the first part uh, of the tribulation period, the, the great tribulation period. And that's, that's not the end of it. I mean, if you go through the book of Revelation, it, it's more like uh, seven-eighths or three-fourths of the Earth's, Earth's population is going to be killed during the, that three-and-a-half-year period. Uh, you're talking six billion people, five-and-a-half, six billion people out of seven-and-a-half or eight billion people on the planet if it were to happen right now. So uh, it's it, it's very interesting. Now, uh, not to digress too far into this, but there there is right now a, a major famine uh, that is taking place throughout Africa, throughout Asia, India, and the Middle East. 
due to a whole host of, uh, of circumstances, kind of a perfect storm sort of a scenario that's happening right now. Not, not just because of the coronavirus, which has shut down uh, all of the workers and all of the uh, field workers and, and, and those who produce the crops and so forth. Everybody's, all these economies throughout the world are shut down right now. Uh, and in, in third world countries, it's actually worse. Um, I won't get into that, but I want to read to you just a little bit about what's happening uh, right now when it, in regard to famine that is that is imminent. I mean, it's it's happening. Now, I don't know that this has anything to do with Revelation, uh, but it's certainly something that the world is experiencing right now. This is from an article in Prophecy Newswatch, and I've just, I've edited it down for the sake of time, but this is what it says. Could it be possible that the stage is being set for horrific famines that the Bible has been warning us about for nearly 2,000 years? A few years ago, any talk of coming famines would have seemed absolutely ludicrous to most people in the Western world. But the events of the last several months have changed everything. Now the United Nations is open, openly warning that famines of biblical proportions could be on the way. And the head of the United Nations World Food Program is telling us that we could soon see 300,000 people literally starve to death every single day. 300,000 people starving to death every single day. Nightmarish droughts, African swine fever, COVID-19, and armies of locusts in Africa the size of major cities have combined to create a perfect storm, and global food supplies are becoming tighter with each passing month. As conditions continue to deteriorate, many are starting to wonder if certain prophetic passages in the Bible are starting to come to fruition. For example, in Matthew chapter 24, verse 7, this is the Olivet Discourse, Jesus specifically warned us that there would be famines in the days immediately preceding his return. For nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, and there shall be famines and pestilences and earthquakes in diverse places. Uh, nations against nations literally means races against races. Kingdoms against kingdoms means sovereign kingdoms against so- sovereign kingdoms. But nations against nations are like uh, the the uh, Native American nations. They they you know this is what it means: tribal peoples or races against each other. Do we see races against each other happening all over the world today, fighting each other? Jesus predicted that. He continues, we can also find similar warnings from Jesus in Mark chapter 13 and in Luke chapter 21. So if we actually are living during the time just before the return of Christ, we should expect to see horrifying global famines start to emerge. And that is precisely what we are uh, witnessing at this moment. In Revelation 6-8, we're told that hunger will eventually be a major factor in the deaths of a large portion of the global population. David Beasley is the executive director of the UN World Food Program, and he recently stated that we are heading directly into, quote, the worst humanitarian crisis since World War II, unquote. Hunger is rapidly rising all over the globe, and he believes that if dramatic intervention does not happen quickly, we could see an astounding 
death toll. According to Beasley, we could soon see 300,000 people around the world starve to death every single day, and that figure doesn't even factor in the effect of this coronavirus pandemic. Quote, if we can't reach these people with the life-saving assistance they need, our analysis shows that 300,000 people could starve to death every single day over a three-month period, unquote. He, he goes on, quote, this does not include the increase of starvation due to COVID-19, unquote. Meanwhile, a new generation of locust armies that is being described as 20 times bigger then the last generation is destroying countless form, farms all across Africa, the Middle East, and parts of Asia. The following comes from a, a previous article. He goes on. Even before COVID-19 became the biggest public health crisis to hit the globe in decades, enormous swarms of locusts the size of major cities were devouring crops throughout East Africa, across the Middle East, and even in some parts of Asia. Now a new generation that officials are describing as 20 times bigger has emerged. And the devastation that this new generation of locusts is causing is extremely alarming. These colossal locust swarms can travel up to 90 miles a day. And as you will see below, when they descend upon a field, they can literally eat everything there in as little as 30 seconds. They apparently had a video clip that showed that. This new generation of locusts has been spotted as far south as Congo, as far north as Iran, and as far east as India. In other words, the food supplies of billions of people are at risk. Never before have we seen so many catastrophic threats to the global food supply emerge at the same time. It appears that the perfect storm is now upon us, and I anticipate that global events will continue to accelerate in the months ahead. It's like watching a slow-moving natural disaster that, that, that nobody can stop. This is what's happening right now. Jesus predicted, God predicted, that these things would be happening in the last days, and they would be increasing in frequency and intensity, like the birth pangs of a woman before the delivery of the baby. Back in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 2, continuing, The mighty man and the man of war, the judge and the prophet, the diviner and the elder, the captain of fifty and the honorable man, the counselor and the skillful artisan, and the expert enchanter, I will give children to be their princes, and babes or babies shall rule over them. The people will be oppressed, every one by another and every one by his neighbor. The child will be insolent toward the elder and the base toward the honorable. And so this was a prediction for Judah of what was going to happen in their future as a result of their uh, idolatry and their wickedness that basically uh, God is saying all of your powerful people, your mighty men, your men of war, your judges, your prophets, your diviners, your elders, your captains, your honorable men, your counselors, your artisans, your expert in charge, all the people that you would think uh, would be in charge ruling the land, 
the people that would probably be more qualified to be in charge, they're not going to be ruling. They're going to be ruled over by children. I will give children to be their princes and babies shall rule over them. This, this is like uh, immature leaders, inexperienced kings, uh, people that have no experience in, in, in life or in ruling. They're going to be ruling over everybody else. Uh, they have no wisdom because they're just kids. What do they know? And yet they're going to be in charge. And this was a judgment of God that was coming upon the nation of Judah, which indeed did come uh, upon the nation of Judah. You read uh, as you as you go into the book of Second Kings, and we don't have time to to look, but you could look it up yourself if you'd like. Second Kings chapters twenty one to twenty four, you see the kings that began to rule over Judah were children. M- Manasseh was twelve years old when he took the throne. A twelve year old, the king of Judah. Uh, Josiah, who came after Manasseh, Josiah was eight years old was their king ruling over the people. Josiah was a good king. Manasseh was a wicked king. But they're just children. Jehoiakim was 18 years old when he took the throne of Judah. And then Zedekiah, who became a puppet of Babylon, was 21 years old when he took the throne. And so these are just children who are making decisions, making executive decisions, having all this power to rule over the people. And that was a judgment of God that had been predicted uh, and brought down the dynasty of Judah and brought down the nation of Judah as they were taken uh, into captivity in Babylon. And, 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 and many, most of them were actually killed. The rest that were not killed were dragged away uh, into captivity as, as slaves really into Babylon. Verse 6 says, When a man takes hold of his brother... In the house of his father saying, you have clothing, you be our ruler, and let these ruins be under your power. In that day he will protest saying, I cannot cure your ills, for in my house is neither food nor clothing. Do not make me a ruler of the people. For Jerusalem has stumbled and Judah is fallen because their tongue and their doings are against the Lord to provoke the eyes of his glory. And so uh, their words and their actions or their deeds uh, is just, just, uh, you know, running, the patience of God has run out. You know, there's just no more patience. God, he's, he's, he's been so patient with them up to this point, sending them good men, good prophets like Isaiah and, 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 and good kings like Uzziah and Hezekiah and Josiah. And yet the people, their hearts were toward the other gods. Their hearts were going after the false gods of the peoples of the lands. God sent them, uh, Jeremiah. God sent them Ezekiel, the people that, that, that were with giving him his word. And, and, and giving them hope and telling them, repent, turn back to God. Come back to the Lord who loves you. And they would not hear the voice of the prophets. They would not obey the word of the Lord. And so the patience of God eventually always runs out and God's judgment comes upon His people. This is the history of the church. This is the history of Israel. It's the history of Judah. If you study any history of a people that call themselves God's people, if they turn away from God, they turn and go after other gods, eventually God must judge them. And if they don't turn back, sometimes he just completely wipes them out. God gives his people time to repent. He gives them grace to repent. He gives them space to repent. But so often we see God's patience as his affirmation of our sinful lifestyles. We think, hey, God doesn't care. 
I'm doing all these things I know I shouldn't be doing. God's okay with it because look, I'm prospering. Everything's going well for us until it's not going well for you anymore. America could say the same thing. You know, we, we have all this pornography, all of this wicked uh, entertainment that, that, that we feast upon and that Hollywood produces and, you know, all, all of the homosexuality and, and who knows what else is out there it, it, on the dark web and all of the evil that take. God sees it all. His eyes see it all. Uh, Jeffrey Epstein, you know, molesting all these girls on his island and having Bill Clinton there and Prince Andrew there and Alan Dershowitz there on his little uh, pervert uh, island of pedophiles. I mean, this stuff happened. And then he ends up dying in prison, interestingly, in solitary confinement where uh, he's on suicide watch and he just so happens to be able to hang himself, uh, you know, and the guards were asleep, I guess, coincidentally for all the people that Epstein had blackmailed and, 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 you know, people that had been with these teenage girls on his island. It's sick. It's sick. And this is happening in our country. And who knows what else? This is just, this is just the tip of the iceberg. And, and so we think, well, look at, we're still the most powerful nation in the world. We're still the most powerful military in the world. We're still the most powerful economy in the world. But if we don't turn back to God, it's not going to be that way for long. And this may be the beginning of the end for us. This coronavirus may be the beginning of the end for our status as being the most powerful economy and the most powerful military in the world. Uh, Just like what happened to Great Britain, just like what happened to Rome, just like what happened to Spain and all of the other Christian world powers that collapsed because of their wickedness. God says He's not going to strive with man forever. You know, we think that God's uh, patience is a license for our lifestyle. And that, that's got to really, I'm sure, upset the Lord that he thinks that because he's not stopping us and he's not judging us, he's letting us get away with it, that, that we think he's okay with it. If you want to know what God's okay with, go to his word. And, and, and he tells us in his word what he wants and what he doesn't want, what he's okay with and what he cannot tolerate. In Luke chapter 21, we, we read here, Jesus is telling us about uh, the judgment of God that is coming upon the nations of, of the earth in the last days. Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, Jesus says this, But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing. Carousing would be sleeping around, sexual immorality, Pornography, anything that's sex outside of marriage, homosexuality, adultery, sexual carousing. He says, take heed to yourselves. This is Jesus telling us, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing or sexual immorality, drunkenness, and the cares of this life. And that day comes on you unexpectedly, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. This is why we believe that Jesus is coming back for His church prior to the tribulation period. It's going to be at a time when people, even the church, is not really looking for His return. That's when He's going to come back at the rapture for His 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 saints, His bride. And He's saying, be... be be, be careful. Take heed your, to yourselves. Don't be weighed down with all the stuff of this world. Don't be pulled down by the cares of this world, the drunkenness, the partying, the carousing, 
that that day, the Lord's coming comes on you unexpectedly. He's telling us this. He says, watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. All what things? The things of the tribulation period that are going to come upon the earth that we were just reading about in Revelation. We're not going to be here. But I think there's going to be a lot of people who are left behind because there's not going to be time to get ready. You're either ready or you're not ready. And, and if you're, you know, if you're, if you're in Christ and He's in you, you're gone. But if, if we're just playing games and we're just playing church, God knows. We can't fool God. So we always have to be ready. In Luke chapter 17, Jesus says this in verse 22. He said this to his disciples, to his people. He says, the days will come when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. I think that's where we're at. We want the Lord to come back and He's not back yet. I mean, I'm worried for the future of our country. I'm troubled by what I see happening in the streets of America. It's, I've never seen this in my lifetime. I've never seen this in my lifetime. Uh, and, and most other people are, are saying the same thing. The riots and the uh, unrest and the rebellion in the streets, the lack of order, the chaos, the, you know, the confusion. Um, the enemy knows that if he could divide us, he can conquer us. Jesus said, a house that is divided against itself cannot stand. And so the enemy knows if he could turn us against each other by race or by political affiliation, conservative or liberal or what have you, even the church is against each other. A house divided against itself cannot stand. United we stand, divided we fall. That is true. As a nation, as a church, as a family, in the home. And there's so much division. Everybody wants their own way. Everybody is uh, a victim. Everybody's entitled to whatever they think they're entitled to. So he says there's going to be days when, a day when, uh, when you want to see the, the days of the Son of Man. We want to be in the kingdom of, of Jesus Christ. And, and it's not happening yet. He says, but you will not see it. Then he says in verse 26 in Luke 17, he says, and as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be also in the days of the Son of Man. They ate and they drank. They married wives. They were given in marriage. Until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, as it was also in the days of Lot, they ate, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they built. In other words, it was just life going on as ever, as normal, as average. Life just going on like normal. Getting married, planting crops, building houses, going to work. They bought, they sold, they planted. They built, but on the day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even so, it will be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. There's not going to be any warning when Jesus comes back. He's going to come as a thief in the night. He's going to come at a time when we don't expect him to. Jesus asked the question, when I return, will I find any faith? In Luke, in Matthew chapter 24, Matthew's record of, of, uh, the Olivet Discourse. Verse 42, Jesus says this about his return. He says, watch therefore, 
For you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. Watch therefore, church. Watch therefore, disciples, my people. Watch therefore. For you don't know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. How many times has Jesus told us this? We just read several places where he tells us this, and this isn't all the places in the Bible where this is told to the church. He's going to come back and get his church in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. The time that your eye has to sparkle light is how quickly he's going to come for his church. It's just going to be done. And then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 through 18. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 51 and 52. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye, the trumpet of God will sound. And then we're going to be raptured. And so he says, be, be ready. Be aware. It's going to be like the days of Noah before the flood. What were the days of Noah like? Rebellion, violence, murders, sexual perversion, rampant on the earth. And rather than God, you know, God just gave up on mankind. He just saved Noah and his family, eight people, because there was no redeeming the rest of the world's population, apparently, at that time. It was like putting a rabid dog out of, uh, out of its misery. There's no saving those people. And so God saved the ones who were righteous, and there were only a few. And then the judgment of God came. Same thing with Lot. He took Lot and his family out of Sodom, and then as soon as Lot went out, he rained down fire and brimstone from heaven and he destroyed them all. He continues in verse 45, Matthew 24. He says, Who then is a faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. The faithful and the wise servant. You see, we're, we're, we're servants of Christ. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We're Not only are we servants, we're slaves of Christ. We're His bond slaves. He purchased us with His blood. We belong to Him. We don't belong to ourselves anymore. We don't belong to this world anymore. We're not of this world. We're in the world, but not of the world. And so He says, Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom His Master made ruler over His household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom His Master, that's Jesus, when He comes, that's the rapture, will find so doing. In other words, He wants us to be looking for Him. He wants us to be serving Him. Because we don't know when He's going to come back. He says in verse 47, Matthew 24, Assuredly, I say to you that He will make Him ruler over all His goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, My Master is delaying His coming, or a long time in His coming, and begins to beat His fellow servants, to eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he's not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. I don't have time to dig into this. I wish I did, but it's, it, it's pretty heavy duty stuff, guys. And this is written to us, the last day's church. We just had an earthquake right as we started our service, a 5.5 earthquake. Rich comes out to me and says, did you feel that? 
said, no, go to the U.S. Geological S- Service website and it'll tell you what it was. And he said it was a 5.5 earthquake that just hit Ridgecrest. What more does God have to do to, to wake us up, to get us ready? He's coming. He's coming. Are we like that wise servant who's serving the Lord and looking for his return? Or are we like that wicked servant who's beating the slaves and getting drunk and oppressing people and all of these other things? He says, I'm going to come in an hour when he's not looking for me. Back in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 9, we read this. They look on their countenance. The look on their countenance witnesses against them and they declare their sin as Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. Their sin is as the sin of Sodom and they're flaunting it. You know, it, it, the Bible's not politically correct, by the way. If you preach the Bible, there are going to be a lot of people who don't like you. They really, really would rather you just skip over certain portions of Scripture. That's why at Calvary Chapel, we go verse by verse through the Bible. So you deal with all of the hard stuff, the uncomfortable stuff, because it's all good for us. It's all something we need to hear. We can't skip over it. And, and, and make our own version of the Bible, as it were, that leaves out all the tough stuff. We have to just plow through the Word of God and, and let it say what it says. Because God, you know, He says, I am the Lord. I change not. He's not going to change His mind. He says, my words will never pass away. His words are forever and ever and ever. And so what God says, He means. And He says, they declare their sin is Sodom. Sodom was the sin of sodomy or homosexuality. And they're flaunting it. They do not hide it. He says, woe to their soul, for they have brought evil upon themselves. I'm actually appalled uh, by, by even children's shows on Netflix. I don't have TV. I haven't had television in 25 years. That was just my own conviction when I got saved. I've uh, never missed, missed not having cable television in 25 years. I do have Netflix. So maybe I'm not, you know, as righteous as I <laughs> thought I was or whatever. But um, I, have a, I have a phone. I have access to the Internet and so forth. But... Um, I'm appalled. Some of these shows for teenagers, because you know they're PG and they're generally safe. They have gay characters now. Not just gay characters, they always have these gay teenage characters making out. At some point, there's a gay character, and then the next thing you know, they're kissing. Two guys kissing. Teenagers, two girls kissing. And then I always shut off the program or shut off the series or whatever. But this is what is being projected as normal to our children. Because the children who are watching this are not the 21-year-olds and the 18-year-olds. The children that are watching these shows about high schoolers and junior hires are typically 10-year-olds, 11-year-olds, 12-year-olds. And so they're being conditioned and programmed to think it's normal for girls to kiss girls and for boys to kiss boys. That wasn't the case 10 years ago on television shows on Netflix, but it is today. Almost every single program. They have a gay character and then they kiss each other. And, and I'm sure they do a whole lot worse on the, uh, on the other programs that are for adults with gay characters. But, um, it's normalized. The sin of Sodom. Gross sexual immorality. We become totally desensitized. And that's how it was here before God's judgment came upon the nation of Judah. 
It's interesting that even if you dig deeper into the sin of Sodom, and and we've looked at this before earlier in the study, but I'll, I'll take you there again so you see the root of the sin of Sodom. The root of the sin of Sodom is not homosexuality. That's the fruit of the tree. But the root of the tree is this, according to the Bible. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 says this, Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom, the city of Sodom. Speaking as a sister of of Israel. She and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. Neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Verse 50, And they were haughty or high-minded and committed abomination before me. Therefore, I took them away as I saw fit. So notice that here God speaking does not say anything about sex or sexual immorality or homosexuality or anything like that. He says, here's the iniquity of Sodom. She, speaking of the city, she and her daughter had pride, fullness of food, abundance of idleness, and did not strengthen the hand of the poor and the needy. Those are the conditions in a culture that lead to accepting homosexuality as normal. This is the root of the tree of homosexuality in any society, whether it was the Greek culture, the Roman culture. You can go all throughout history. Now the American culture. Pride. Are we prideful? We sure are. Don't tell me anything I don't want to hear. I won't like it. Fullness of food. Are we blessed with food? Do we have way more food than any of us could ever eat in a lifetime available to us? And our cupboards are full and our refrigerators are full and we have so much food available to us so we don't have to worry about food. Abundance of idleness. Do we have idleness? Do a lot of young people have way, way, way too much idle time on their hands to get themselves into trouble? I think that's, you know, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but it is interesting that all of the people that are rioting on the streets and that are up there protesting with all of these signs and the majority of them uh, are not African-American protesters, but they're college students who just happen to be out of school right now that have been stuck at home for two and a half months and they can't wait to get out of their house and go somewhere and the economy's not open so they can't go to work. So you have a whole army of protesters just available to you and you have the internet and social media that they're all on to communicate messaging to get them to come out of their homes and to get on the streets and protest. And then you of course have Antifa and you have the uh, other groups that are paid agitators that are coming in behind them. Again, uh, it, 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 it's a terrible thing what, what those po- that police officer did to that poor, innocent man, George Floyd. And, and, and no one should condemn violence uh, against anyone because of race or, or, or religion or these reasons. But, but what's happening is bigger than that. What's happening that these protesters that are coming in and breaking windows and burning down police stations and burning down and blowing up police cars and uh, looting businesses all over the country, uh, they're not interested in poor George Floyd. I mean, George Floyd's brother's out there begging people, my brother wouldn't want this. He wouldn't want you to be destroying our cities, Baltimore and New York City and Los Angeles and Chicago and all over Atlanta and so forth. So we have way too much time on our hands. Idleness, abundance of idleness. And people are not concerned for the poor and the needy. They're not concerned for anyone but themselves. 
So these are the roots of the sin of Sodom. And that's exactly what we're seeing in our culture today. Back in Isaiah chapter 3 and verse 10, Isaiah says, Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. And so God does distinguish between the wheat and the tares. Thank God. He does not judge the righteous along with the wicked. He, he, he's a just judge. He distinguishes. He says, say to the righteous, it will be well with them. So if you're here tonight and you're righteous, guess what? It'll be well with you. Be encouraged. You don't have to fear. Trust the Lord. It'll be well with you. Say to the righteous, it'll be well with them. For they shall eat the fruit of their doings. If, if, if the seeds that you're planting, the laws of sowing and reaping are always true. Whatever a man sows, this also shall he reap. If you sow to the flesh, you'll reap of the flesh destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you'll reap of the Spirit eternal life. Galatians chapter 6 tells us. And so, you know, for those of you who are living for the Lord, loving the Lord, seeking the Lord, I can say to you from the Lord this evening, it will be well with you. You're going to eat the fruit, good fruit, of the good seeds that you are planting. And we don't have to worry. We do not have to fear. God distinguishes between the wheat and the tares, between the sheep and the goats between the righteous and the wicked. He removed Noah before the flood came. He removed Lot before he destroyed the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. And we know that Abraham uh, uh, interceded for really for his nephew and his nephew's family. He interceded in Genesis chapter 18. We don't have time to look there, but you can go check it out afterwards. Genesis chapter 18, verses uh, 20 through 25. Abraham is interceding and saying, God, Will, will, will you not spare my family? My, my nephew is there in Sodom. Because God says, I'm going to wipe Sodom out. Their sin has reached, the stench of their sin has reached heaven. And I'm going to obliterate the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, God had told Abraham. And Abraham said, but Lord, there's righteous people there. Won't you save the righteous? Will you condemn the righteous along with the wicked? And he begins to barter with God. If there's 50 righteous, would you spare the city? Yes, Abraham. There's 50 righteous. I'll spare the whole city on the sta- on, for the sake of the 50 righteous. Well, what if there's 45 righteous? Yep, I'll spare the city for the 45. And he gets into this, you know, debate with the Lord and, and, and this negotiation with the Lord. You know, what about 40? What about 30, 20, 10? God says, if there's 10 righteous people in Sodom, I'll save the whole city for the sake of the 10 righteous. But there weren't 10 righteous. It was just Lot and his family, and his family wasn't all that righteous, actually. But God saved them, took them out and dragged them away. A picture of the rapture, by the way. And then blasted the rest of the city with fire and brimstone from heaven. And the archaeologists have uncovered these cities and dug them out there in uh, that area uh, of uh, the Dead Sea in Israel. They found where the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah are and they've uh, excavated them archaeologically. The rocks were so hot that they were melted into glass the archaeologists say. But verse 11, he says this, Woe to the wicked! So say to the righteous, it'll be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. But woe to the wicked! It shall be ill with them. For the reward of his hands shall be given to him. And as for my people, Children are their oppressors and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your paths. So they were oppressed by their leaders. 
Uh, it would, you know, in this culture, it would have been an insult to have women ruling over them. Uh, and, and God is saying, you know, you're, you're going to be oppressed. Uh, you're, you're, you're going to be led astray. Those who lead you will cause you to err and will destroy the way of your paths. Verse 13 says, The Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes. For you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord cares for the poor. He always has cared for the poor and the needy. The widows and the orphans were charged. Jesus said the poor you'll always have with you. We're charged not to just look after ourselves and not just look after our loved ones in our own families and households, but to look after the poor, those who are suffering, the afflicted. And, and he's saying, you know, you've eaten up the vineyard. You've, you've plundered the poor. You've taken the little that the poor have, he says, and you put them into your houses. Corruption. What do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord of hosts? So, uh, these are these are leaders who are leading the people astray, shepherds who are not leading the sheep, but they are instead uh, slaughtering the sheep, as Ezekiel chapter 34 talks about, the, the wicked shepherds, the hirelings, who just fatten up the sheep so they could slaughter them, and they could get the wool, and they could eat uh, the best of the sheep, and they let the other sheep starve. They were just fattening them up so they could slaughter them. They weren't laying down their lives for the sheep as the good shepherd, uh, Jesus lays down his life for his sheep. Guys, I'm sorry. These messages are so heavy. I wish I could teach you a happier message, you know? Really, I do. Um, but it's the, the, these are such, I think, uh, relevant prophecies to what we're seeing right now. We're living in perilous days. Perilous times have come. Men's hearts have grown wicked. Man's thoughts are only evil continually. Man has a form of godliness or religiousness, uh, but denies the power thereof. Everybody's religious, but nobody's really living for Jesus, you know, in this culture. Everyone's religious. They're doing yoga. They're practicing witchcraft and Hinduism and Buddhism and everything else. But, but their hearts are not. Their hearts are far from the Lord. And so, uh, you know, they, the disciples asked Jesus. They said, Lord, are there many who are being saved? There are many who are going to be saved, many who are going to go the right way. And Jesus says, uh, enter through the narrow gate and travel on the narrow road. For it's a narrow road and few there are who find it that leads to eternal life. And avoid the broad gate and the broad road because the broad road leads to destruction and many go on the broad road. There's only a few on the straight and narrow path. So God help us to stay on the straight and narrow path path. We all want to thank you for listening. If this message has blessed you, as we all pray that it has, send the link to this podcast to your friends. Working together, we can get Michael's teaching of the whole of God's inerrant word to all those who hunger to hear it. If you would like to see this ministry expand to reach even more of the broken and lost, if you have questions, comments, and prayer requests, email us at coah 
podcast at gmail.com. We would be honored to pray for you, as we hope you are praying for us. Good day and God bless from City on a Hill Church, Tehachapi, California.